Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Modern Retail Podcast. I'm Kale Guthrie Weissman, the editor in chief here at Modern Retail. This week on the show, we have William Pack. He is the CEO of Esprit. I wanted to talk to William because Esprit is a really fascinating brand. It's one that I have a lot of nostalgic memories about. Uh, It was really prevalent in the 80s and 90s, this luxury brand, the three lines of its logo, um, very nice items. And then it it sort of faded from view. Um, Now, William is trying to resurrect the brand. There are a lot of things at play, a completely new line, um, new stores. There are going to be new stores in um, New York and Los Angeles. There's also something else at play, too, which is nostalgia is playing a really big part in a lot of the cultural conversations people are happening and brands are trying to tap into it. So it seems like a really smart time for a brand like Esprit to try and rise from the ashes. William, how are you doing? Thanks for joining. Hi, Kale. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. I'm very excited to discuss what you just mentioned and a lot of exciting developments. It's a very momentous time for the company and for me as well. Same here. So first, let's start with you. How did you get to be the CEO of Esprit? Um, I was doing some research about you, and you've you've been sort of in a different, various different roles over the past. So let's w- walk me through this. So my journey to the CEO of Esprit came from a very non-traditional background. I, I'm actually originally from Canada, uh, born and grew up in Vancouver, moved down the West Coast to California after I finished school. And I, I worked there before New York City about 15 years ago. And along the way, I had an opportunity to uh, expand some sort of asset management business over in Hong Kong. So that was quite an opportunity to uptake in my late 20s. And this is what we did. Uh, We, meaning my current wife and I, who is now the uh, chairwoman of Esprit as well. So we did this journey together, met a lot of interesting people. And over time, we've done a lot of business turnarounds and expansionary business plans. We're, We're quite an optimistic uh, couple. So we like to approach very <laughs> optimistic projects. And, uh, you know, X3 came to us about two and a half years ago because we had been uh, working on various projects. And this was a very interesting one that had a 50-year history, uh, which was about to go into some sort of restructuring in Germany. And uh, knowing this brand from a very young age, we wanted to see how well we can turn this around. And this is what's going on. And why we're doing uh, this current role here at Esprit. And uh, I can talk about what uh, more aspects of that if you have any questions. So first, with before you got to Esprit, had you done any apparel type stuff or was this your first, first foray in that space? Very good question because we get this a lot. I have not done any former apparel or retail industry uh, work. However, uh, a lot of this kind of corporate uh, growth and restructuring and and forward-looking repositioning is very much similar across different industries in terms of motivating people, finding the right talent, and putting putting the best people together to uh, have a common goal and a strategy. And here at Esprit, much like many other large companies over, over decades, evolves to the point where it needs someone outside of the status quo to really make a significant change for the better of the company. And this is how we're able to, for the first time in well over a decade to make serious change to to help the trajectory go forward. Got it. So can you just back up a little bit and give 
I guess, a brief or abridged history of Esprit. What I know, you know, I've, I've been doing research for this program. I remember it in the 90s. I remember specifically the logo. It was, it's a luxury brand. It's, it has a very certain aesthetic tied to it. So how did it start and where was it when you joined a few years ago? Uh, yes. So this question actually depends on what part of the world you are uh, from. Uh, and the reason for that, is, um, <laughs> you know, this company started in San Francisco in 1968. It was a California coal company. It got really successful in the 80s and 90s and really part of a household name. Uh, back then, not as many brands were, were around with such international recognition. Uh, but it was a brand that was California cool, very against the status quo and, and with a lot of color and attitude. And this is something that that was really uh, resonating with the times back back in seventies, eighties, into the nineties. Uh, it actually opened an office in Hong Kong in nineteen seventy one, very long time ago. Uh, originally a sourcing office. This is where they uh, integrated with the supply network and the supply chain. And then it opened nineteen seventy five in Germany. So really, over the, the the next couple of decades, it grew into three different. Esprits, three different ownerships, three different uh, uh, direction, which was which was fine in that time. Um, but at some point, things got a little, uh, I guess, dis- disconnected into the '90s and late '90s, where depending where you are, people people think it's a German brand, some people think it's a Hong Kong brand, some people think it's a California brand. But uh, in different regions, the the company came and went. It it, it became very big in Germany from about the late 90s into the 2000s where i think um spree disappeared from the us uh around the late 90s try to come back 2004 2012 uh it left again and hasn't come back since so this is some history that i kind of studied to make sure that we we know what happened to the brand and what we can do different first thing we did was look for the archives the archives are treasure trove of materials, imagery, thought processes, things like that, that were actually uh, lost. It was probably 2,000 square foot of materials that were lost you know, in, a, in a distribution center in Western Germany uh, for many, many years. We found that, put together a team, and you know the heritage of the brand is really a lifestyle brand that is sustainable. It's the first eco-friendly clothing brand out there in in in, in my opinion uh, having organic cotton from very early 90s and things like that so this is the heritage and so now now that we had our successful restructuring over the first year and a half uh, 2021 and first half of 2022 was the first profitable periods in uh, over half a decade so this this restructuring part is is successful now we're going to reposition and rebrand and in order to do that as I said, we uh, looked at the uh, archives, figure out what to do. So now we're going to actually, very exciting to let you know that we are moving to New York City so that the brand will be designed, Ooh. created, uh, collaborated all in New York City. Um, very soon, we're just about to sign a, a lease on a, on a very large office space uh, in uh, close to Soho. Are you going to be moving to New York City? I'm actually back and forth uh, quite a bit right now because we're in the middle of building our team. It's a very new beginning. We just actually decided on this only in the last uh, couple of months. So it's it's very new, but we decided that in order to really make this brand 
very, very, very important. Um, again, in back home in the United States and North America, Canada is very, very strong brand as well. Uh, we decided to do this. So it's the brand is also going to be known as Metropolitan Outdoor. So it's, it's originally California cool, but going to modernize it to be Metropolitan Outdoor. And uh, this is part of what we're doing in New York City, not just opening stores, but actually moving the creative office. Cool, cool. I have a, many broader questions, but I have one very specific question because I just need to know. For these archives that you found, were they just sitting in an office somewhere? How, like, where did you, did you, how did you find them? Because I always find it funny when something gets lost, like a huge amount of documents, and then you're suddenly like, there they are. Yeah, actually, we, we tried to look for it. Um, you know, during the pandemic, uh, early on, it's harder to really go physically look for it. But uh, earlier this year, uh, someone found it in a distribution center. Distribution center meaning where all the product comes in from overseas, gets boxed and reshipped. And it was in it yeah. was stored there, wrapped in uh, uh, weatherproofing uh, materials. That's wild. One more history question before we get to this rebranding now. But you mentioned how Esprit was sort of three distributed companies: U.S., Germany, um, Asia. What was there a tying bind to sort of at, when this was happening, or were they three different aesthetics with three different strategies? And as you're rebranding now, are you trying to put all three strands together, or how are you thinking about that? Yes. Yeah, so what I can gather is that over the 80s and 90s, it was three different uh, aesthetics, centrally coordinated to some extent in in Germany for at least the later 90s, 2000s. Uh, I think it was around early 2000s when the Asian entity actually purchased the, the German entity and the U.S. entity, et cetera, so that it became headquartered there because I think in 1993, they listed on the stock exchange in Hong Kong. It's still listed there. We're going to have a 30-year uh, bell ringing ceremony just to commemorate the 30-year anniversary. Uh, but uh, what we're going to do is take the approach where the brand will globally be created design, thought through, photographed, all in New York City, and it will resonate globally from there. So this is a very important change because I don't think a lot of, I can't think of another retailer that has done this where they actually move the corporate mind, creative mind to a certain place as opposed to just opening an outpost and opening stores. So this is something very momentous. And all design will be uh, resonating from there. However, it's a very global world now, so we do have other regional offices where input will be given back to really uh, regionally curate collections and things like that. For example, what customer likes in Latin America is, is different than what customer would like in Korea. So we'll, we'll curate a little bit of, uh, of experience for the customer, but this is, uh, this is the plan. So can you talk a little about the restructuring when you first came in? What were the first things that you had to do? And congrats on posting the profit. That's great news for you guys. So what what were sort of the lowest hanging fruit and the biggest changes that need to be made before you could do what you're doing now with this global rebranding? Uh, I would say it's three things, uh, not, not in totality. But the first thing was supply chain. In any uh, older company, the supply chain gets pretty entrenched. And when we look back, I would say our return to the U.S. is, is very special in that the U.S. has not seen what happened to Esprit in the rest of the world over the last 15 years. 
the 15-year decline and and loss of identity. So what happened was prior uh, teams or management have kind of changed Esprit from a bold, creative, uh, high-quality product into what was prevalent at the time, which is fast fashion about 15 years ago, 20 years ago. So quality went down uh, 13 seasons a year, which is quite quite fast and not really sustainable uh, in, in, in our thought. So what happened was this supply chain ballooned to about over 200 uh, factories and vendors in the region. So that's the first thing we tackled. We changed all of that, uh, spent a lot of time a year and a half ago with each of the new vendors to make sure they comply with all the sustainability codes and guidelines that we have. ESG is a hot topic these days, but we're already ESG over compliant from many, many years ago. So it's not a difficult thing to do from that point of view, but we increased the quality significantly, uh, increased the margins from there. And then we we really focused on uh, relationships with the partners so they can trust that we grow together. And this is this is the very first thing that we've changed, which really helped us with our margins. And then secondly, from an organizational point of view, uh, siloed systems is how a lot of companies end up over years. So we have to break those silos because having cross-functional coordination, not, not just between divisions, but also between regions is very important because I'm trying to have this motto where we do have a 24-hour business around the world because we're in every major market. Uh, we have uh, large offices in Europe, uh, in, in Asia, and, and now in the U.S. We we can actually achieve two days of work in one day by finishing, passing it off to your close counterparts in other regions. And then when you wake up in the morning, another day of work was done while you were sleeping so that we can we can do 700 and what is that? 20, 30 days in a year uh, of work in, in one in one year. So that's something that really helped because then it's cross-functional, cross-team collaboration. Everyone shares the dream and and, and uh, moves forward from there. And so with the streamlining of the supply chain and warehousing, how has that impacted uh, assortment and merchandising? So have you have you whittled down the what what you guys have what 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 does the new line look like um so the new line actually as i mentioned it was 13 seasons a year before so it's quite fast so we're changing that completely so the new line actually will come out uh, fall 23 so middle of next year and and this new line uh will be much more focused on uh, uh, very strong brand pillars and it's all founded on playful modern cool so that's the the, the uh, brand pillars that we're going to build our assortments on. And the clothing will be uh, just four seasons a year. So it's very, very clear what's going to be coming over the seasons. And in these, in these pillars, we're going to have a lot of associated imagery attitude to it so that in the end, the Esprit customer or the person is basically the life of the party back what it used to be in the 80s and 90s. Uh, in terms of uh, attitude, higher quality. Uh, a lot of people that that we've interacted with have uh, their favorite Esprit pieces from a long time ago. They still remember when they bought it, who they bought it with. It's kind of like music where you, you associate uh, really 
memorable times in your life with what you were listening to at the time. So this is the kind of lifestyle and attitude we're going to build with Esprit uh, going forward. We we did change uh, the quality already. So starting from spring, we're going to see new new images and new better quality products. So it's kind of the lead up to the big reveal of the big rebrand in the third quarter of next year. Got it. So you have two pop-ups right now, or at least one, one about to open. What One in LA, and there, has the one in New York opened yet? Uh, so actually, uh, the pop-up in LA opened about a month ago. I went to the grand opening. Uh, it's on South Robertson Boulevard. And we chose that spot because California Cool was the original uh, brand in the beginning. So we had vintage products. We had uh, varsity-themed products a way for the brand to really re-enter and re-engage with the consumer experience. We're opening a permanent store across the street there uh, in about the first quarter, uh, in a couple months. And second pop-up, New York City. Actually, t- today is going to be the soft grand opening of the pop-up in uh, Soho, uh, which which is going to be for a couple of weeks for the Christmas theme. Also, uh, a vintage kind of uh, reintroduction of the brand. We will have a further pop-up in a couple months on the same spot in Soho. And we're planning a flagship store in New York City as well, to hopefully to open sometime later next year. What is the assortment right now in those stores? Is it a very curated piece of what the new line will look like next year? How are you thinking about with it with what you currently sell? So right now it is vintage themed so that uh, people will recognize the nostalgia of what uh, they used to remember and and we will have that for the current period. We do have our e-com site launched simultaneously. Um, it's kind of a temporary e-com site, which has the current assortment. Um, so over the months, when we do relaunch our new website, our new brand, new products, it will then transition to this metropolitan outdoor sort of brand that I was mentioning. You you talk about nostalgia, and this is something I wanted to talk about, because it feels like it's a very fortuitous time to be relaunching a brand from the 80s and 90s. It's Fashion right now is very much talking about the 80s and 90s uh, as the nostalgia is very in vogue, I guess you could say. And so can you talk to me a little bit about what you're seeing with that? Was, did, was this part of how you saw the relaunch going, or did this just happen to happen and it's a, a good synergy to have? I think that um, there has been this rolling wave of nostalgia, I think. So a few years ago, it was 80s. Um, and then right now, it's 90s. Some people think it might be 2000s soon. But in the end, I, I think <laughs> actually what the reason why nostalgia, not the only reason, but one of the reasons why nostalgia is really resonating with current um, generation of consumer is that there's been a lot of change, globalization, deglobalization, a lot of a very, I guess, tr- stressful time, what we've just been through over the last couple of years, things like that, um, which actually make people really look up towards a brand. People are starting to trust brands more than they trust, uh, I guess, uh, corporate other corporations without a brand or governments or things like that. They They find aspirational brands to be something to look forward to and brands that really resonated uh, back back in the day when when things were quite more open and freewheeling, uh, like the eighties, is why nostalgia for certain things are really resonating. So that's why we wanted to start by reconnecting the consumer with uh, with nostalgia. But we're not just a brand from the eighties; we are now a modernized uh, version of Esprit. So 
Actually, another very important part of our relaunch is the hyperphysical omnichannel. So this is something very interesting. I myself is very, very, as you know, in tune with uh, technology and really embrace it. And and I do think that uh, it is a healthy, it can be a healthy experience to have a good online persona, offline, as long as it's uh, curated quite nicely. So we are actually creating a very robust hyperphysical omni-channel system where we will have a online esprit sort of universe we will have a, a reverse metaverse physical format of this in our new flagship stores so um, this this is something very interesting where the consumer can interact online and offline and have this whole new experience with the brand can you go a little bit more into what that means? So when you say, you know, an online or omni-channel experience, is that, you know, a well-designed website that looks like a store? What are some of the touch points that that make this different from a normal apparel e-commerce site? So omni-channel is, is a term a lot of uh, companies, retailers are throwing out these days in terms of what we need to do. Um, there's kind of, I would say, a couple of stages of omni-channel. The basics are that, uh, for example, you, you go uh, to a store, you're able to feel and interact the, with, with the product, and then you can go online and, and buy it. Uh, a lot of people do this, whether the, you know, the size is different or the color you want is different, or vice versa, you can shop online and pick it up in your store. These, these are sort of the basic um, omni-channel concepts. And on the online website, uh, having e-commerce sales or shopping is, is basically the core. But what we uh, are actually creating is uh, a place where you can interact online. You can interact with different sustainable interest groups or customers or fan base, really connect with the brand again and, and, and sort of create a two-way interaction, not just between the brand and, and customer, but maybe a ecosystem. And that, that's kind of an interesting thing. It's sort of the gamification of the online experience where you're not just shopping, but you're also interacting. You have the ability to connect to that persona in each of our flagship stores. So we're going to create a physical kiosk where you can interact two ways. And uh, this is actually something very exciting. That is interesting. Have you? Is there some model where you've seen that done by a brand before? Or how, who would you say does that well in terms of that two-way digital and physical communication? I, I have actually not seen that before. I just thought it would be a very interesting way to interact with the brand because I, I do have this um, very knowledgeable experience of interacting online. I mean, people have been talking about metaverse and NFTs and things like that uh, very, very frequently over the last couple of years. But actually, you know, video games from 20, 30 years ago did have this sort of online experience. You are playing with your avatar in this in this virtual world from a long, long time ago. So I think this concept is not not very new. It's just that it's becoming mainstream now. And I think being able to tap into this uh, ability to live in this online world, but actually bring it to physical form in the store with, with the five senses, you know, smell, touch, sight, uh, etc. That is something different. Uh, I've actually not seen it in other retailers. So maybe this uh, coming from outside the box uh, really helps to create some interesting new concepts. Yeah, I'm excited to see it in action. Um, I want to talk a little bit about marketing. So you're you're doing a huge brand refresh. You're opening up a flagship store. You're bringing the headquarters overseas back to the U.S. 
what what is your vision for how Esprit is going to be marketed um, this coming year once the line goes live? So this is another segment of Esprit that uh, was missing for 10, 20 years. I don't know the exact number of years, but it's a very, very long time where the company did not spend a lot of money or time on branding. So I think this is also a reflection of the different regions. So uh, 20 years ago, well before uh, social media or online marketing channels, I mean, there was some advertising, but not to the extent that we have today. In, in Europe, uh, it was not as common to see a lot of brand marketing as it is in the U.S. for billboards and things like that. It's, it was very much more of a, uh, an American thing. So the branding concept, as the company moved towards uh, Europe, kind of lost its, its uh, importance. But we, we are very much uh, about making sure the brand is strong again and really resonating with consumers. So we created a, uh, a new head of, uh, her, it's a chief brand officer. Uh, her name is Anna Angelic. She joined us uh, a couple of months ago, a uh, short time, built, building out a big brand strategy with us. This is rolling out next year. Uh, she's based in New York City. She's working uh, side by side, uh, well, together with the design team. Um, design led by Tom Cosson. He's SVP of Central Design, also based in New York City. So this is uh, all part of what we're going to do. And it's not just going to be uh, physical uh, brand advertising. Of course, we're going to have online uh, social media. Also, I think it needs to be a broad mix and not just one focus. I mean, this might be we might be too early now, but do you see yourself tapping certain types of influencers? Do you see a certain type of channel that will really resonate with where you see the brand going, or are you just going to sort of wait and see when when the full uh, rebranding comes alive? Yes, we still have not um, identified any particular uh, influencer that we need to really tie up with. We do have uh, as we launch the the LA pop-up, we have local influencers, local activations. As we enter the, uh, New York again, we're going to have regional specific. Once this rebranding story and product is put together for launch um, next year, which is right around the corner, uh, we hope to have identified these these really key influencers and KOLs to, to resonate with the brand. Uh, I mean, about, about June and six months ago, we, we launched in Seoul, Korea actually first um it's the first store outside of europe that we relaunched um this one we did a collaboration with uh, peggy go and simon d simon d is a, a local rapper korea peggy go is a world famous dj um she kind of did some work with us uh, back then so we do have these local engagements but i think the big package will come in the u.s uh, next year what is your hope in terms of international i guess pie chart like are you hoping with the rebrand that u.s will become your most dominant market uh given that you know asian and europe used to be so big before what, what are you seeing in terms of where you want the sales to be coming from uh yes so it's used to be everywhere uh, now it's a hunt well before we the relaunch is 100 percent in uh, europe we we think an even mix globally is, is good because now it's a very connected economy but most important market for us is is uh, the United States. This is where the brand is from. This is where the uh, 
the all the their heritage originated. So it's the most important mark in terms of cultural impact, design, um, the attitude, and, and things like that. But in terms of sales, hopefully an even mix around the globe is most sustainable, most healthy. We're just about running out of time, but I wanted to ask you, you have your work cut out for you for the next few months, given you know, you're going to be relaunching the brand, you're going to be launching a new line, totally rethinking it all, and bringing everyone to New York City. Let's fast forward to a year from now. What what would you say would be you know the most important things that you've accomplished to show that the rebranding really worked and is resonating and is helping bring the brand to a new place in the world? What what are you hoping to see in terms of results? Well, as you know, there's many moving pieces uh, to to hit the target of a relaunch. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and each segment has different challenges. For example, uh, clothing design and production has logistical challenges to make sure product gets to the right place at the right time uh our new flagships actually we feel that our new flagships are the best ambassadors of our brand this is where consumer can really resonate uh and connect with the brand there was a swing towards almost all online shopping uh during the last couple of years it's now swinging back people do want to come back to the stores again in some places it's over 50 60 percent of people that prefer offline shopping so having Having that, having our product, having our flagships, and having our rebranding all matching uh, the middle to the third quarter of next year is the biggest challenge. But I think by then, we'll know uh, if if the dream uh, can continue. And, and then I think by the time we hit that, I actually also believe that we are seeing close to the top of inflation. Um, I I, I think we're seeing that coming down. So with interest rates hopefully pausing soon, we should see some avoidance of this recession that a lot of people are talking about. So it takes a year actually to roll out you know, real strategy for a retail company as opposed to a technology company or, or other industries. And so by, by this time next year, we should see all of this hit, including the customer experience. Um, I think that's very exciting. That is very exciting. I guess one more question before I let you go, but uh, you mentioned the recession and the interest rates going down. Are you, Esprit is a more luxury brand and luxury is known, apparel less so, but Esprit is, or luxury is known to be somewhat re- recession uh, insulated, I guess you could say. Do you, is that something that you were, you've you been hoping for if, God forbid, it does continue to get worse in terms of the the economy or what, what, what are your thoughts in terms of what people buy as it relates to your brand? Uh, yes. So I think uh, res- um, inflation or interest rates or general macroeconomic environment is is really hard to predict. But at least from a physical uh, store standpoint or, or company strategy, we can sort of position or diversify to make sure we are ready when, when the economy is where it is in a year's time. But in terms of brand that we are, are, are recreating, the assortment, the, the clothing, things like that, it's going to be more timeless so that it's not fast fashion, it's not uh, ultra luxury. It is a, a brand where people can trust and understand and know what they want. They will know what the spree aesthetic is by this time next year. So that um, it, it's a very uh, clear messaging, clear product lineup, clear imaging. That, that, that's the whole goal of our repositioning. Got it. Well, William, this has been a really great conversation. Thanks for joining. Thanks very much. I had a, had a good time. 
And thank you for listening to this episode of the Modern Retail Podcast, a show by Digiday. If you haven't already, please do subscribe and head to Apple Podcasts to leave us a review and a rating. See you next week.